It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I am your host, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm joined, as always, by the best co-host in the business, Landon Mance from Las Vegas. Landon, welcome to the show, buddy. Good to see you, as always. And we are excited to have in studio today Tanya Torres with Torres (laughs) Multicultural Communications. Tanya, we're excited to have you in the studio today. Likewise. So I'm really happy to be here. Uh, Thank you guys for the invitation. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited for the conversation. You know, uh, before we jump in, though, I want to just kind of lay the groundwork for those who are listening to the program for the first time. Uh, Tycoons of Small Biz is a is a radio show and a podcast that's put together for small business owners by small business owners. Landon and I are both small business owners. We own a practice together. We both grew up in families that owned businesses as well. So it's in our blood. And the idea or the goal behind this program is to highlight small businesses throughout the country and give them a platform to tell their story. So Today, especially, I'm excited to have you in the studio today, Tanya. I think that women in general are underrepresented as owners of businesses throughout the country, but Latina women especially. So we're excited to hear your story. And so before we jump into the business side of things and some of the things that we want to talk about from your business, why don't you tell us a little bit about you personally? Where did you grow up? What's your family life like? That sort of thing. Well, I grew up here in Phoenix, actually, um, West Phoenix kind of a rough neighborhood, 21st Avenue and Monroe, just a block south of uh, Van Buren. I am a daughter of immigrant parents. So my parents immigrated immigrated to the U.S. back in the 70s. They are now very proud U.S. citizens, voters, a mother and father of a three, three-time war veteran and successful children. So I think they did really well for themselves. But yeah, I grew up in a, in a rough neighborhood. But my parents grew up as a Mexican Catholic, and so Catholicism was very important for us, especially for my my mother. And so I do have 12 years of Catholic school <laughs> uh, upbringing. Um, so eight years at St. Matthew's Catholic School, which I'm really proud of. Um, small Catholic school, but very much a family. A lot of people that I'm friends with to this day. And then I went to Xavier College Prep for high school. So a big sacrifice for my mom and dad to send me to Xavier College Prep since the tuition is much higher than Arizona State University. So it was it was a big deal. Went in, graduated, and then I got a full ride to Arizona State University thanks to the ASU Latino alumni chapter, Los Diablos. I got a full ride to ASU. And then from then on, I went on to start my career. So that's a little bit about myself. I have uh, five brothers and sisters. There's uh, six boys and six girls. We're kind of in the same lineup as the Brady Bunch. So we're kind of <laughs> like the Mexican Brady Bunch. Um, I would be Marsha. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. She's a Marsha. I'm a Marsha. I'm an older sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, Landon is definitely a Greg. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> I'm not sure either. It's just the only name I could come up with for okay. the Brady Bunch. <laughs> no, I, I think that that's a really cool story to see. Obviously, you know, we, we see this time and time again, these immigrant parents who, mm-hmm. who come and raise children in the United States. And, you know, they they understand what a blessing it is to live in this country and their children grow up understanding that it's a blessing, yeah. but we've got to work hard to make something of ourselves. Yeah. And so it was clearly instilled in you at a, at a young age. And then, you know, the Catholic background and, and the, the work that you put in there uh, is, is obviously, I mean, six kids, that's, that's a good Catholic family, right? That's a, that's a great Mexican Catholic family. <laughs> and I might add, uh, we grew up in a 900 square foot home. So there's eight people in that house. I still, to this day, God bless my mom and dad, but I don't know how we got through that, but we did. Um, But you're right. I think the sense of entitlement goes right out the door. There is no sense of entitlement when you have that kind of background. And for as hard as it was, it has molded me to be who I am today. I think the biggest, aside for from giving me life uh, from my parents, I am so thankful for the work ethic that they have instilled in me. I think there's no work ethic like an immigrant work ethic. And when you have your parents working multiple jobs day in and day out, you know, it does something to you. And so that's something that really drives me to this day. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I mean, I I don't have an immigrant background, at least not for a few generations, of course. But, you know, I, I posted something for Father's Day about my father, who actually is my stepfather, and the same thing, I mean, the work ethic that he taught me, I, I grew up relatively poor, not 900 square feet, right? But maybe 1,200, 1,300, and then just six of us instead of eight. But, you know, my parents both have GEDs. They just they just worked hard. They weren't great from an educational standpoint. And so they just went to work and did what they could. But that work ethic that they instilled in me is is what has driven me to what I've been able to accomplish today because I, I knew what it meant to work and to not feel entitled to a college education, for example, or entitled to anything for that matter. Yeah, I think that's a that's something, a lesson for a lot of people, you know, it's like the world owes you nothing. Um, no one owes you nothing. And so that's, um, I see it a lot where I think that lesson could be learned by a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. What do you, you still think? have a lot of family here in in Phoenix, Tommy? Yeah. yeah, so they're they're all here. So my brother, who's U.S. Army vet, he's still in the Army. He's uh, stationed out of El Paso, soon California. Except for him, everybody kind of clusters together. So we're all here in Phoenix. Nice. We do have what? a couple aunts and uncles still in Mexico, but it's rare. It's like, I can't remember the last time I went to Mexico. What's your brother's name that's in the Army? His name's George Torres. Shout out well, to big, my older brother, George. Big shout out to George. Thank you for your service, man. I love him. He's my Greg. He's, he's man. Like, we got through our childhood. I think we learned how to laugh. And so laughter is a big thing between us. He just makes me laugh like no other person. So I just love him so much. So thank yeah, you and- for that. Oh, go ahead, Landon. Yeah, you're welcome. Are are your folks are are they retired now, or or what are they what are they doing? They're retired, happily retired. They're busy being a grandma and a grandpa. They have nine grandchildren. My dad 
He had a back injury about 10, 12 years ago. And so he's handicapped currently. And so he's kind of, you know, taking it easy as he should, focused on his health. And my mom's the social butterfly. So she's out and about every day. So they're kind of the opposite. But no, they're happily retired. Nice. Very nice. Well, cool. Thanks for sharing all that. Uh, I didn't know any of that about you. So um, I appreciate it. So you kind of got up to ASU and you you finished your schooling at ASU and then talk to us about what happened next in your life and then what ultimately led to you starting your own business. Yeah, so I I graduated from the ASU School of uh, Walter Conkright School of Journalism and Mass Communication, amazing school. I thought I was going to be a journalist. You know, I thought I was going to really take my creative writing skills and put them to use in journalism. It wasn't until I found out how much journalists make (laughs) to start off with. I literally would have had to move back into my mom and dad's house and kind of start start almost minimum wage. So I got into public relations and it's actually very serendipitous the way that it happened. I I had not even graduated college yet and I was temping. Um, I was working for a temp temp agency and they needed an assistant. And so they sent me to this place um, and I walked in and it was like kind of like a madhouse, people running everywhere, lots of bright colors, people running around, just there's the energy, very exciting energy, very creative energy. And it turned out to be an advertising agency. The name Kramer Crassall, they're no longer around. Uh, They are around in other markets, but they did get uh, bought out in Arizona. And I looked around and I thought, oh my God, what is this? I had no idea that a place like this existed. And I I just fell in love with it. Um, I loved the ability to be strategic and be able to do research and really get into the heads and hearts of consumers. And then on the flip side, the ability to be creative, uh, to think innovatively and progressively and do something that's going to be outside of the box. And the way that we can marry the two was really exciting to me. And so I started off as an assistant um, for the PR department, worked really hard with that work ethic that we just talked about. And seven years later, I walked out as vice president of the agency. So I felt like I got my MBA at Kramer Crossalt. I learned so much about how to run an agency. But I always knew, as with every entrepreneur, (laughs) that I could do it better. And I always (laughs) knew that I was going to start my own agency. So I kind of went in there and I learned as much as I could. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I'm very grateful to my mentors at Kramer Crossalt. They were amazing and they taught me so much. So that's how it all started for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So did you go straight from Kramer Kasselt to starting Torres Multicultural? So I did two rounds at Kramer Kasselt. So I did a couple other jobs in between. I worked for a nonprofit called the Border Trade Alliance. Um, did a lot of marketing and PR work um, in Washington, D.C., Mexico, and Canada, So I was traveling a lot, which I loved, pretty much lived out of a suitcase. I had that moment in my life in my early 20s. And then um, I went to work for Thunderbird, the Global School of Management. I was director of public relations for them for some time. And then Kramer Crassall came back and recruited me um, back to them. So, So after Kramer Crassall, 
was when I decided to open up my own business. Yeah, I think that's that's fascinating. And there's a couple of, uh, of tie-ins to my own personal life there. So originally, I was going to get my master's in international management mm-hmm. from Thunderbird. And I had a child at the time who may or may not be listening to this, but uh, he he is also currently a student at the Cronkite School of Journalism. Wow. And so hopefully he didn't hear your comment about how little you make as a journalist when you come out of school because he might start second guessing everything that he's uh, <laughs> that he's working towards. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the, the path that you took is awesome and it's very similar, right? I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs do the same thing, uh, learn a trade and, and realize that maybe what they studied isn't exactly what they wanted to do in life, but they knew that there were certain things that they brought to the table and they identified, you know, if they just did this a little bit differently or if, if they did that a little bit differently, you know, they would be that much more successful. And so you have that drive and your belief in yourself to step out on your own and, and do it, which I think is awesome. For me, it's 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 just having that college degree, which is so important. And it's everybody keeps saying that to me, just just graduate, just get the college degree. And, and I kind of understand that now is I employ and hire people. It truly, I could see the difference in candidates. You know, with it, just college, just really, it it teaches you so many skills, discipline, <clears throat> the ability to stick to deadlines and meet deadlines, being autonomous, being able to manage yourself, writing skills. All of those things are just some of the very important, you know, skills that employers look for and a college education instills all of that in you. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. And, you know, the mention of, of earning an MBA on the job, I think there's a lot of truth to that, right? I mean, I, I tell people, so I do have an MBA and I tell people all the time that, you know, the education itself was, it's not that it was bad. It's not that I didn't learn anything, but they, I didn't learn anything there that I couldn't have learned just in the workforce period the value of my MBA to me is the network of people that I exactly. went to school with. Absolutely. Right. So yeah, there's, there's definitely more ways to, to learn. I mean, Landon and I are getting an MBA and hosting podcasts over the last year. So <laughs> <laughs> at least a bachelor's from the Walter Conkright <laughs> school of journalism and mass communications. <laughs> I, I think she just downgraded us and said, so well, far I the interview's not least. going great. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what we we need his son when his son finishes his program, then he needs to go work for you for there a couple years, Tanya. Then we then he can come work for us and do all of our PR and marketing and all that stuff. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> not a bad idea at all. You listening, AJ? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So tell us a little bit. So how long has it been at, at Torres? It's been twelve years. Wow. Two thousand nine. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Oh, yeah. Actually, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of work for sure. But Jesus, the experiences I've had along the way are just, I'm telling you, when I re- retire eventually and I'm sitting in that rocking chair, I'm going to have like the craziest stories to share because I've been very blessed to have experienced so much so far. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a reason that a lot of entrepreneurs end up writing books, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many lessons that they learn along the way and things that they want to share. So we'll look forward to, to seeing your book. <laughs> so you. so tell us, over the last 12 years, how have your priorities changed, right? I mean, when you started out, you have this end in mind. There's something that you wanted to accomplish or many things that you wanted to accomplish, but how have your priorities changed over the last 12 years? 
I think that they have both been reinforced and evolved over the past 12 years. You know, um, when I mentioned earlier at Kramer Crasshalt, when I said I looked around and really the gap in the market that I identified was the ability to reach Latino consumers, Hispanic consumers. They're really, it was almost like they had kind of a sense of kind of like their necks in the sand and didn't look around and see how diverse the market was becoming. In 1980 was when the U.S. Census uh, first used the word Hispanic. And at that time, about 14 and a half million Latinos were identified in the country. And you fast forward to now the 2020 census and we're at 60.6 million. So we're about 18 and a half percent of the nation's total population. And we represent about one out of every six Americans. And we have a $1.7 trillion buying power. And so I saw that back in, what is it, late 90s, early 2000s. And so for me, it's continuing to shine a light on the Latino market and all that we bring to this country and to different industries make sure that, you know, we're being represented and we're at the table and that when it comes to companies or organizations wanting to do business, um, that they, you know, do something that leaves behind value in our communities that continues to be important for us. So ways of empowering our communities across the markets that we work in. But for me, my priorities have evolved over the last 12 years to not only do Latino marketing, but also just multicultural communications in general. Uh, we had the opportunity to work on the 2020 census uh, just last year, and uh, we worked with Asian Americans, uh, Middle Eastern Americans, African Americans, uh, basically everyone. And so that was really exciting to be able to do focus groups and reach out in their communities and get the word out about the importance of participating in the census. So that's how, you know, my priorities and my team's priorities have changed over time. I think that's so awesome to actually watch the way that you identified an opportunity in the marketplace, because, you know, I, I was a child of the 70s. And so I remember the 80s very well. And I think back and and you're absolutely right. I mean, the numbers obviously bear it out, but you look back and there was less diversity in our country then specifically on the Hispanic side than there is today. And if we fast forward and think about, you know, what did you say? 18% of the population? 18 and a half percent. Yeah. So 18 and a half percent of the population, you know, it's almost one fifth. That's almost mm -hmm. 20% of the population is Hispanic or Latino in our country today, but the stuff that you see on TV, the ads that you see on TV or the billboards or whatever it is, you know, the, the marketing that you see is still not representative of no. that. No. There's still a long way to go. And you see it in agencies as well. Um, you know, there's no secret that Madison Avenue in New York, they lack representation. Um, in fact, I think there was like a class action lawsuit a couple of years ago where they were demanding more uh, people of color to be part of these agencies. And so there is such a lack of diversity in the marketing industry. That's a fact. Yeah. And I've always said agencies like me shouldn't even be around, you know, like that's that's the truth. 
Yeah, it's a good point, right? You shouldn't even have to have a multicultural agency right. because all agencies should be multicultural. And reflective of the markets. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Yeah, no, it's not. And and the same could be said, said not even for different cultures, but, you know, races— Races, religion, sexual orientation, all that kind of stuff. There's diversity in our in our country in all of those areas, mm -hmm. and we shouldn't have to have agencies specifically for that because it should be part of our everyday culture. It should be in their DNA, and unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, it's yeah. We've we've definitely we, we've got a long ways to go for sure. And I you know I I think the thing that comes to mind for me I don't know about you guys, but you know I, I don't think most people in our country realize that the United States of America does not have a national language even, right? English is not the declared national language of the United States. There is no national language. And so when people say stuff like, well, learn the language, you're in our country now, there is no national language in the United States. We are all immigrants at some point in this country, except for the Native Americans, mm -hmm. right? And so we, we all need to just be so much more inclusive and everything on TV needs to be representative of that TV, print, everything, you know, and it's, we've got a, a long ways to go. And I know that you guys are putting a dent in that. So it's exciting to see. We are my, my team. I have a, a great team who's tuned in as well to listen to this podcast. Hello, everyone out there. They're, they're amazing. They, they are so committed to really putting a spotlight on our communities and and finding ways to continue to empower our community. So they work really hard. Yeah. I, I've, I've met one person on your team and uh, she was tremendous. And I think just what the stuff that you guys are putting out, the quality of content that you yeah, guys are putting out there is, is letting me know that you have a, an amazing team. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, Tanya, can we just take a little step back here and just kind of just for people that don't know, you know, what you guys do or who you are, just tell us about, tell us about the company and exactly what you guys do and who you're working with. And just give us a little more flavor of you guys. Sure. So we are a marketing and public relations agency. So we provide all kinds of marketing services to nonprofit, for-profit, Fortune 500 companies. That could look like research, market research, focus groups. It could look like an advertising campaign where we actually produce TV spots, radio spots. Digital is big right now, of course. We also buy media. So if we've done advertising, multi-million dollar advertising campaigns where we also negotiate with all the different media partners and place the media, make sure that ads are running on time and when they should be. And we also leverage those budgets for added value. We do a lot of social media campaigns. So basically anything involving communications under the marketing umbrella. Currently, a lot of our work is focused on public transportation. So we're really excited to be doing work on some of the biggest construction projects going on throughout Arizona, actually in Maricopa County. And so our job um, is to make sure that constituents, stakeholders are informed when it comes to these different construction companies and the value of, you know, expanding freeways and light rail, um, how that is uh, a value for all of us. And then making sure, first and foremost, that they're aware in case they're impacted through traffic and um, detours and driveway 
you know, access and things like that. Uh, we also work with healthcare industries. Uh, we've worked with large nonprofit organizations as well, locally and across the country. Um, a couple of years ago, we worked with Mi Familia Bota, which is the largest Latino civic engagement organization in the in the country. And we worked in about seven different markets to help get the Latino vote out. Uh, we did that through direct mail, canvassing. So basically, that's that's what we do every day. Um, we have several different clients. We have a team. Um, we have an office on 8th Street in Washington, and that's where our headquarters is located. And um, our team is very talented. Um, most of them are bilingual, fluently bilingual, English, Spanish, not all. Uh, we do have a pretty diverse team as well. They they work on their client accounts every day really hard. Yo hablo español muy, muy, muy poquito. Muy poquito. <laughs> Lo hablaste un poquito bien. You spoke well. <laughs> Yo hablo francés. Oh. Don't know anything about that. You know... <laughs> I wanted to be trilingual, so at Xavier, I took French for four years, which in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done because I would have just gotten the easy A in Spanish. But I don't, I I can understand French, but I, I don't speak it. And it's because you have to practice it. So, but the yeah. times I've been to France, I can kind of pick up what they're saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way with Spanish, actually. I can pick up the gist of what's being mm -hmm. said because the words are close enough. But I tried to pick up Spanish after learning French, and I lived in France for two years, and so I got to a point where, it, and I have a bachelor's degree in French, so it, I, I'm not today, but I was fluent uh, back in the late 90s, and it, it's hard, especially yeah. for somebody who speaks English as their first language. Learning a second Latin-based language that's very similar is hard because a lot of the words are even spelled the same, but you've got to pronounce them differently. Mm. And it, it just, it was very difficult for me to try to learn that second Latin-based language. Yeah, I, you know, there's a I, obviously all of my childhood friends, we all grew up in households where we spoke Spanish first. And so we were, you know, so now being, now they're all very fluent English speakers, obviously, because they speak and write it all day long. But trying to hold on to your Spanish is tough. You know, you got to keep practicing it, tuning into the radio stations and the TV station, TV uh, stations helps. But yeah, you got to practice it. But that's where you get the Spanglish come in, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, those are fun. Those are fun words to hear people speak. Yeah, definitely. Tanya, let me ask you something. My wife always gives me a really hard time because when we when we go out to wherever and clearly the person that we're communicating with, you know, uh, you know, they speak Spanish because I overhear them speaking it or, you know, whatever. And so I will I'll I'll try to communicate with them in Spanish as best as I can. You know, I, I like I said, I, I speak very little, but. My wife always gives me a hard time. You know, she's like, why do you do that? Like, you know, they don't, you know, they don't want you to do that. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, so is that true? No. Or is that, is that, is that false? No, I, for the most part, myself and from people that I've talked to or have seen witness myself, we find it endearing. You know, when you, of course, done respectfully, of course, but when people try to actually speak the language, we don't, we don't take offense to it. We actually think it's endearing. So 
We like it. We like that you guys are trying to learn some of the words and are trying to implement them in your in your everyday vocabulary. I don't, again, as long as it's done respectfully and not beating to offend anybody, of course. Right. Or, absolutely. Or mock it. Yeah. No, absolutely. I was uh, in a restaurant on Saturday morning. We were uh, running around and we got some breakfast burritos. And I was talking to the uh, the cashier in uh, Spanish. I just said, you know, good morning. You know, how's your, you know, how's your day going? And she kind of looked at me and <laughs> uh, she, you know, we, we, so we, we communicated for, for a couple of minutes, but I've always thought that, like you said, as long as it's done in a respectful manner, I've, I've always thought that people appreciated it. We do. I, I do. I mean, and, and people that I've talked to and have, like I've said, I've witnessed myself, lots of those kind of situations. And for the most part, I think people appreciate it. We find it endearing. We do. Yeah. Right. Honestly, I think, you know, from a, from a French perspective, I know that the French people, one of the hardest issues, the biggest issues that they have with Americans is they don't try, right? They just, they walk up to you and, and just assume that you can speak English or start mm-hmm. speaking to you in English and expect that you can speak English back to them, but don't even make an effort to try to speak French to them. Mm-hmm. So I, I know a lot of French people feel that way and, and wish that, you know, look, you're coming to our country, at least, at least try. Try. I got that in Italy, in Rome. Like for the most part in, in Paris and France and other areas, they, they were, they would, as long as I tried and then they would flip to, to English and be cool with it. But in Rome, they refused. <laughs> they refused. I'm sure the guy knew. I still remember it was a taxi driver and I was trying, I was even speaking Spanish to him to try to like pick up some of the words. And he's like, you got to speak in Italian to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we can't, we can't, uh, not everybody's going to feel the same yeah. way about things, right? Correct. So Tanya, you are 12 years in to this entrepreneurial journey. So I want to ask you kind of just looking back you know, what are some things maybe you would have done differently? But before you answer that, just talk to us about your journey the last 12 years. What's it What's it been like? Successes, failures, things you've learned? It's been incredible. It's, it's oh my gosh. I mean, the amount of learning that takes place every day. I feel like every single day I, I walk away with new lessons. I'd say that people... It's personally a point of pride for me to be able to create jobs, uh, to be able to hire people and provide generous salaries and benefit packages for employees, staff members. Um, That to me is a point of pride, you know, the fact that I'm able to do that. All because I had this idea back in, you know, the late 1990s. So that's kind of, that's cool. I love that. I think over the last 12 years highlights just the number of people that are impacted by the work that we do. Sometimes we don't even recognize or realize how truly impactful our work has been. Being able to work on really cool projects has been a highlight as well. And let's see, being able, I think one of, one that comes to mind is being invited to the White House for the Christmas party and being able to meet President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama was really cool. That was a big highlight for me back in 2012, I believe. So it's just, it's so many experiences. 
it's like I said, once I retire one day and write a book or continue to tell, you know, people about my stories, I have really great stories to share. Nice. All because of my entrepreneurial life. And it's a lifestyle, right? It's not a job. It's like yeah. it's more of a lifestyle. And it's not for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart. No, no, not at all. All right. So, so here we are, 2021. Obviously, you've had a lot of success growing your your firm the last 12 years. But if you were to kind of look back when you when you were starting out, you know, knowing what you know today, what, what are some things you may have, you know, done differently? Oh, there's a lot. One that comes to mind, and you know, I I, I think entrepreneurs are going to either agree with it or not. But I would say. Avoid hiring friends and family is a big one. Those are really hard lessons I've had to learn over the last 12 years. And it's natural to want to hire friends and family at the beginning of, a, of your entrepreneurial journey. A lot of being an entrepreneur, there's a certain element of fearlessness that comes with your personality. You have to have, you know, guts to jump on your own and say, from now on, I'm going to be responsible for my own paycheck and then eventually for the paycheck of lots of other people. So there's a, a lot of fearlessness that comes with being an entrepreneur. And so it's natural to want to surround yourself by family and friends. It happened to me, you know, it's and then you also have a lot of people that, you know, see what you're doing and they have the best intentions at heart and they want to chip in and they want to help and even though they're not entirely qualified to do the job, you know, they'll, you figured, oh, well, I'll train them. They'll make do. But for me, it's really learning that lesson to hire individuals with the experience and the expertise that you need to run your business and keep friends as friends and keep family as family. So would it be fair to say just kind of understanding, planning for, and setting very clear boundaries? Yeah, I feel that, like I said, you'll have family and friends that want to help, especially as you make those big wins. You know, they want to be part of that success story. And it's great. It's wonderful. And it sometimes it's best to just have them as your support system. And it, honestly, it could even be cheaper, <laughs> cheaper to keep them as your support system because it's tough. It's tough. It, it also limits, it limits you. It limits you and it kind of, it could potentially set you back if you're not hiring people with the appropriate skills and experience. That's what should come first and foremost. That should be most important because if your friends are going to stay your friends, if they're truly your friends, they're going to stay loyal whether you hire them or not. So yes, setting boundaries. I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, it could get pretty lonely sometimes as well because not everybody understands us. Not everybody truly understands the challenges that we go through every day. And so it's natural to want to surround yourself with friends and family who are going to give you that support. But I've been very lucky to have found Vistage not too long ago, and that's how I met Austin. And I, I now have a peer advisory group of 12 CEOs who I meet with on a monthly basis, minimum. And I'm able to share with them my challenges as someone who's running her own firm, a 
minority woman who's running her own firm. They've been tremendous help so far. And I'm in my second month and I love it because for as much as my friends and family sometimes want to help, they truly just do not understand it. Yeah, I think they don't truly understand that they do have some bias regardless, right? And so you're going to get unfettered responses from the rest of your Vistage group. And we obviously have been very lucky to have you come in the group as well. And and we're excited to see what the, the future holds there. I want to actually expound upon what you said with hiring family and friends. So I think we've all kind of done it at some point. I mean, Landon knows right. even... I did it even again, maybe six months ago. I hired I hired my daughter as my administrative assistant because one of mine um, moved to Portland unexpectedly, and I needed somebody to fill in. and And I thought, oh, she can fill in, and it 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 didn't end up being great for her or for me. And so it was it was you know one of those lessons learned again. But I I want to go even further. So it's not even just family and friends, but I think a lot of the mistakes that we make as entrepreneurs is hiring people who think or act the same way that we do. Mm. And we actually need employees who are willing to challenge us or have different viewpoints. So we want the skill set, of course, but a lot of times we end up trying to hire people that are very similar to us. Mm. And that can be detrimental to your growth. Yeah, I could see that. Definitely. I think, yeah, focusing on on that resume and, and what are the skills and whatever it is that that person brings to the table should be most important. And yeah, I feel I'm working on getting very people that are not, you know, just the yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, sir. You know, we get a lot of that too. And you're right. We, we, we want you're here for your thinking, for your creative, for your creativity, for your ability to solve problems and things strategically. And that's what we're looking for. And we don't have that answer. And especially if it's not under our area of expertise, you know, whether it's whatever area we're on. For me, it's finances. You know, if I were to manage the finances every day, we wouldn't be. We, I'm a marketer. <laughs> I'm I'm worried about, you know, photo shoots and ads and creative things and and research and plans. And so it's just really hiring according to what expertise you need to advance your business. Yeah. And, and let them do what they're best at. Right. I mean, right. Landon and I went to a meeting. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but we were together in Vegas. We went to a Vistage meeting and there was a guest speaker. So Landon's checking out some Vistage groups in Vegas right now. And we went to to this meeting and the guest speaker happened to have been on President Ronald Reagan's post White House staff. So once he was done being president, you still have a staff, of course, special you know, or uh, so, uh, Secret Service and all that. He ended up being on his staff. And so he got to know President Reagan really well. And one of the things that he said about President Reagan is he had an ability better than anybody he had seen to that point or since to surround himself with the smartest people in every area that he needed and to not let that affect his ego. I was just going to say that. And I'm lear- I've am i learned how to do that. I think in the times that I have fumbled a little bit with my business, I've realized, Tanya, you need to work with the top, like the best experts you can find. And if that hurts your ego, then you need to work on yourself because that's you talking to your ego and tell, <laughs> telling your ego to take a seat because it's not helping you at this moment, right? And so it's it's important. And I felt like that even joining Vistage, you know, sitting at that table, there's some really intelligent people in our group that are can be quite intimidating. But 
all of that, I tell this to myself, all of that, all this all the time, that's all part of growth. Growth is uncomfortable. Growth is supposed to be uncomfortable. Um, that's how you transform yourself. That's how you evolve. And so, yeah, it's challenging yourself to be in those rooms and those conversations where you may not be the smartest person in the room and that's okay. Yeah. So I want to ask you some some kind of more specific questions about what it is that you're doing, not necessarily now, but how you approach this, right? Because one of the things that I see, and 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 Daryl and I, the producer of our show, was we were talking a little bit about this before the show started. That um, you know, there's these there's these groups, right? So Daryl's African American, you're Latina American, and everybody kind of puts you in this group, right? And there are certain things that are that are true about certain groups, but not all things, right? And I and I think that they that we as Americans or people in general make the mistake of assuming that all African Americans think the same way about certain topics, or all Latinos think the certain a certain way about topics, right? So we know that Latinos, for the most part, are very family value mm-hmm. oriented. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a fair statement that we could say about uh, essentially all Latinos, right? But to assume that all Latinos vote one way on a specific topic, you know, we, we just came through a pretty contentious political season, right? And I don't want to get overly political, but they, they assume that all African-Americans vote the same way and they assume that all Latino-Americans vote the same way. And it's just not true. And so how do we break through that or what are you guys doing specifically with different, you know, ad campaigns or whatever it is that you're putting out there to not treat everybody the same, but to get representation the way that it should be. Does that question make sense? Yeah. And you're so right. I, for me, it's, I, I was going to bring up the political part and, and without getting too political, of course, but assuming all Latinos are Democrats or, you know, left-leaning, that's that's an assumption. I learned that very clearly during the Trump years, as I look through my news feed on Facebook, that not all my family and friends were Democrats. You know, there was a lot of fighting going on on different threads between people that, you know, were expressing their opinions that people didn't necessarily agree with. And so I I learned that not all Latinos um, necessarily think that way and that we're very complex. We're not a homogenous community. We're just people in general are complex creatures. And so that's not an exception with, with people of color. You know, there's, it's a very complex community. I think first and foremost, when it comes to trying to ensure that representation is first and foremost advocating for it. You know, if you're in a position of power or privilege, it's making sure that that conversation is being had you know, do we have people that are represented at, that are representing the communities at this table who are making the decisions? It starts with that. I could tell you that for me, I wouldn't get invited to submit proposals for certain, you know, requests for proposals or be able to pitch for certain business, pieces of business locally and nationally if it wasn't for people that were advocating for people like myself, you know, and that goes a long way, especially if you are in a privileged position. That's where it starts. I've had the best doors open for me by people that were not necessarily 
Latinos or African-Americans or people of color. It's been Anglos who have opened those doors, but it's because they recognize it, whether it's a business decision for them or because they think it's just the right thing to do. That's very important to start with. Yeah, I mean, I think the the reality is our our country as a whole, and sorry not to hijack things here for a minute, Landon, but this this topic has been on my mind a lot for the last several months. But our culture is very diverse today, mm-hmm. but the white man in business is still very much the majority, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm a white man, but it's up to me to stand up and say, gosh, we need more representation mm-hmm. from Latinos. Absolutely. We need more representation from African-Americans. We, you know, we need to do something as the white males of society to say, this is not okay. Let, let's fix this in a way that works, right? And I don't have all the answers, right? But I, I do have some, some thoughts that I think could make some differences, right? So specifically, Black Americans have been in the news a ton lately. Mm-hmm. And the way that, you know, they feel about certain things and there's people who think that the Black Lives Matter movement is not okay and some think that, that it is. And, you know, it doesn't really matter which, which way you, which side you're on, specifically the organization Black Lives Matter I'm talking about, right? But I know that what, what I think could make a huge difference is if the professional sports teams and um, associations that are out there most of the athletes in our country are of African-American descent, right? But I think if the sports, if the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, whatever, you know, whatever it is got out there and they put out ad campaigns that showed African-American men and women growing up to be doctors and lawyers and, you know, all those sorts of things, if they, if the kids are seeing themselves as that's a possibility instead of the only way for me to make a lot of money in this world is to become an athlete or an entertainer or a rapper or singer, you know, whatever it is, if they feel like there's another path for them, I think that that's going to help create that. And it's up to the white people, the white men who are leading those organizations to stand up and say, we need to do more for that community. We're making a lot of money on the backs of these people, these athletes and entertainers today, and we've got to do more to say there are other ways to make money because regardless, even though it's mainly African-American men who are in those who are those athletes and entertainers and rappers and singers, whatever, there's still a small percentage of them that end up making it in that area. And so we need to show that there are lots of other ways to make a very good living in this life. Mm -hmm. And it takes hard work and it takes education and it takes, you know, reading and writing and math and putting in those efforts in our own homes and on our communities. But it's got to be shown nationally that there's another path out. Make sense? No, I I agree. Definitely. I, as I'm hearing you speak, I have... um... I have a a local example, not necessarily in the sports arena, but this has to do with one of our clients. So South Central is getting a new light rail extension. They, uh, Valley Metro, City of Phoenix, are extending light rail by almost six miles uh, into South Phoenix all the way to Baseline Road um, along Central Avenue. Very exciting. Um, that is going to hopefully, uh, it, it will launch, um, late 2024. So it's a project that's been going on for many, many years, large project. I think it's almost a billion dollar project. Um, but what's really interesting is, um, as we were doing all the research, 
um, in South Central, um, when we, when our, our firm came in um, with marketing and communication services um, with the project, um, one of the statistics that really blew me away during one of the conversations I had with um, a gentleman who owns several charter schools in South Phoenix. And he said, Tanya, you know, from South, if between 7th Avenue and 7th Street and between Broadway and, and Baseline, 55% of the population is under the age of 18. So think about that. It's very young families, uh, a lot of young people. And you could see it because I remember as I was driving down Central, I could see the kids just coming out of school in their backpacks, crossing the street. And so I thought, wow, these kids are going to grow up watching light rail being built literally in their front yards or their backyards. And so one of the workforce development programs that we developed um, is called Engineers of the Future. And so what we did is we paired up um, kids from South Phoenix with engineers um, and architects and all individuals, white collar, working on the project as mentors. And so we have a small army of engineers that have gone into these schools throughout South Phoenix and have introduced these professions to kids. And some of those engineers are of color and women. And so it's their first time really listening to someone who looks like themselves, who may talk like themselves, just who are saying, hey, have you thought about this as you're watching light rail being built in your community? This is something that you could potentially do as well. And so we've had several different project build, they call them project build programs where they've learned how to build bridges. Um, they've learned how to, everything related to just public transportation and light rail, they've learned. Um, but just to see these kids just minds, you know, just awaken and to think of the possibilities for themselves. Um, so it just kind of reminded me as you were talking about, you know, um, introducing these different career options. Yeah, that's something that's happening on a local level as well. Yeah, I think it has to, it has to, to be just as involved locally as mm -hmm. nationally, but I feel like these large organizations have a voice and they need to use it, yes. right? And I don't know that they're doing enough today. I mean, obviously, you know, the head of the NBA, the head of, of the NFL is not listening to our podcast and hearing this, but I just feel like there there needs to be something more, right? I mean, I, I would also, I would almost love to hear from a guy like LeBron James, right? Everybody knows who LeBron James is, love him or hate him, love the team that he worked that he's playing for today or you know back in the past doesn't really matter. But I feel like he should almost stand up and do a national commercial that says, "Look, I understand kids who look like me want to be me. I get that." there's a very small chance that that's going to happen. And so here's how you get out. Now he does things, right? He has scholarships and he does a lot of pe a lot of things for a lot of people, but I feel like a very national campaign of him saying your best chance is to work hard in school and to learn a trade or to learn something because the the percentage of you become the percentage chance of you becoming me is very very small. So let's find another way for you because yeah. I want all of my African American brothers and sisters to become successful as well. Make yeah. sense? It reminds me of Charles Barkley back in 19 what was it 1992? I think I was in 8th grade and I still remember that the Phoenix Suns were doing really well as they are now. Go Suns. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember him saying, "I am not your role model." 
(laughs) And that stuck with me because he's not. Nobody made him. He didn't ask to be a role model. So, and I remember him that making him making that very clear. Um, My teacher loved it at the time. A German nun. (laughs) small little German nun, sister, sister Elaine. (laughs) All right. Well, we're coming up against time and I kind of hijacked things for a little bit. So Landon, bring us home. Yeah, sure. No, that's all good stuff. So Tanya, in in about the two minutes that we have uh, remaining, uh, just talk to us about what's, what's on the horizon, you know, for you and for your, for your firm, what's the future look like for you guys? Definitely scaling. Uh, big, big focus on scaling. How do we continue to grow an agency, a service-oriented marketing public relations agency? Um, that's a big focus for me personally and, and my team as well. Expansion, of course. Looking into other market opportunities as well. Locally, we we do a lot of uh, art-related events. We do part of the... Part of my property includes um, a multi a multifaceted facility that we call Luna Culture Lab. It serves as an art gallery as well. So we host First Fridays, um, which the city of Phoenix opens its doors downtown to a bunch of art galleries throughout downtown. It's a really cool place to be at if you're into culture and arts and creative energy and people. It's a really fun place, fun thing to do around, sorry, along Roosevelt Row. But we put together a signature event every year called Chingona Souls, and it's a stiletto art and fashion show. Um, And that's coming up on November 5th. Um, We are getting ready to send out the save the date to all of our followers. We did have to skip it last year because of COVID. And we're really happy to be bringing it back um, this fall. So we work with about 50 different artists and they all start out with the same canvas, which is a black stiletto. And they basically get about a, they get about three to four months to work on turning that into a piece of artwork. And so the stilettos are displayed in our art gallery and um, they're auctioned off and all the proceeds benefit ASU Los Diablos Scholarship. Um, and we also have a fashion show. So it's, it's a big night. It's a really fun, creative evening for all of us. And so we're, we're starting to plan for that event as well. And you guys are all welcome to come and bring bring your wives or girlfriends. Um, guys love it as much as girl, as women, believe it or not. Yeah, I've been to First Friday with my wife. We love it. I mean, the food's great, too. They've all, got all kinds of food trucks and, and then the art and all kinds of stuff. It's, yeah, it's a fun music, time. Yeah, music. It's a great. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds like a good time. Very cool. Well, uh, Tanya, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. We sure appreciate you coming on. And for anybody that wants to track you down and pick your brain or talk about, you know, the work that you guys are doing in your agency, how do they, how do they track you down? Sure. Uh, so TaurusMulticultural.com is our website, T-O-R-R-E-S-S-N-Sam Multicultural. You could also find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube, all the usual places. Coming soon, hopefully TikTok. Yeah, that's a whole other. <laughs> that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. TikTok. Um, let's see. And our office number is 602-354-3430. Again, 602-354-3430 for anybody that wants to give us a call. And, and if you're in need of our services, uh, please, please reach out. 
All right. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on and we uh, look forward to following your success. I'm so thrilled to be here, you guys. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.